Good evening and welcome everyone. I'm your host, John Lucier, and I'd just like to start off this episode by letting you know that God's got it. For those that know me or that have had the opportunity to interact with me for any extended period of time, know that that is something that I say quite often, that God's got it. He's on the throne. Doesn't matter what it is, he's got it. He's in control. And I say that because I know we here in the United States, we just had our midterm elections. And I have sensed all week the, I'll say, questioning that people have had, asking what happened in, with the election. There's many questions. There's there's some confusion. There people had an expectation and an anticipation of what would happen, what the outcome would be, ran all the analytics and did all the calculations and expected things to be one way, and which has, I'll say for many, led to a sense of disappointment because of what we are seeing with our natural eyes and natural ears. And I'll say I too sought the Lord on, you know, why things are the way they are. And, and I'd like to share with you in this episode what the Lord was speaking and saying to me. And in it, it was very interesting because last week, or on last, the last episode, we spoke about being a nation in covenant with the Lord. And what that looks like. Now, that was actually something that was required to step into the promised land. They had to be in covenant with the Lord first. And in that covenant was that, or the covenant, whether it's, if you study this out, whether it's the Abrahamic, whether it's the Davidic covenant, the the covenant of the Lord given to Abraham or given to King David, and, and throughout the entirety of Scripture, there is this simple I'll say commandment from the Lord. And that is that he is and will be our God. And we are his people. So it was interesting that the Lord brought me to Psalm 78. But in Psalm 78, there is much said, but a big portion of that Psalm is... Yes, it talks about God's guidance to his people in spite of their unfaithfulness. Or in this case, we could say our unfaithfulness to the Lord. But a big portion of that psalm has to do with God's deliverance and bringing his people out of Egypt, but also removing that, I'll say the threat, and removing Egypt and those that would rule over them, that would keep them as slaves forever. The Lord providing deliverance, permanent deliverance from that enemy. So he, because in last week's episode, we talked from, we spoke from Deuteronomy. So he brought me all the way back to Exodus and in chapter 14. And is literally chapter 14 in its entirety. 
but uh, the primary verses, if you will, and we're not going to read them all. I'll, I encourage you to get a Bible and read those scriptures for yourself. We're gonna, we are going to point out some key ones, but it's really from verse 5 through 30, well, through the end of the chapter. I'll say 31. And in there, there's a, a very interesting thing, and it, it starts off by informing us. In, verse, in Exodus 14, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And, and what the Lord was showing me was that in this nation, there were many that have come to a realization and, and, and seen I'll say, realization of the situation that they were in, that we as a nation were in, and that the Lord was bringing us out of that and had brought us out of much of it. A huge deliverance has already occurred, but the Lord's not done yet. So we see here in this situation in Exodus that then Pharaoh, or the ruler of the day, the enslaver of the people, then makes preparations, realizes the error of his ways, if you will, from how he operates, how he functions and his people function, and said, no, we need to go back and enslave these people again, bring them back and put them back in chains. So we see here through the next few verses how he makes plans. He, he gets his chariots ready and his people with him. He takes these, these warriors to go round up all the people. But then in verse 8, it says something very interesting. It says that they chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. In, the, in, in verse 9, it says, The Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea. So I, I want to point that out. Because... I know many have looked at this, um, you may have even read these scriptures, but as we look at it in, I'll say, relation to what is happening in this, happening in this nation, I know many are, are, I'll say, even confused by what happened. When you look at all the, this polling and, and data and analytics, and there's a, someone sitting in the seat at the Oval Office whose approval rating is abysmal at best. How can it be that then all these people that have contributed to these policies that have come from this, I'll say, the acting administration, how can it be that then they're not only voted back in, but that there's even an increase in the taking of things like the Senate? How is that even possible? How can it be? And, and I know many have asked themselves that question. They've looked at all the different things that have happened, the issues. It's the same issues we're hearing about from two plus years ago. Issues with the voting machines, issues with uh, a number of different concerns that were brought up. 
And when they when they look at what happened, and even though many expected this uh, this red wave to occur, and they didn't see it, and not only did they not see the red wave, but then they're like seats and positions of I'll say power and influence from our elected officials were were lost. There are many questions, and for for many, just same as in this situation here in Exodus 14. Many have become afraid, which is a sad state of affairs, but we can acknowledge that, that it has come to this place. But it's very interesting that the people said this. I'll read, actually, let's read verses 12 through 15. It said, is this not the word? Oh, sorry. It begins in verse 11. They're talking to Moses and they say, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But then Moses responded to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And as we were reading that, or as, as I was reading it earlier in the week, and the Lord was speaking to me and ministering to me, he reminded me of a, another time that is very similar to this. And that actually comes from 1 Kings chapter 18, when the prophet Elijah stands on Mount Carmel and tells the people to choose either God or Baal. In verse 21, he says this, or it says this, of 1 Kings chapter 18. It says, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer a word. And I, I was reminded of that because see here in Exodus, there are two opinions. And, and I say that, and it's two opinions all around. There are many that will just go with the status quo and bow their knee to whatever the who whatever and whoever is or claims to be or presents themselves as the person in power and authority says they will just submit to that. There are others that have have stood up and sought the Lord and repented and and turned to him and now, maybe don't see clearly what exactly the Lord is doing. And fear, which only comes from the enemy, has crept in in some way, shape, or form. Right? And then there are those that would just follow the Lord fully. And we see that here in Exodus, where it says that the people said, hey, 
we just wanted to stay there in Egypt. They were of two opinions. On the one hand, yes, they wanted to be free. Nobody truly desires to be a slave. However, they didn't they just didn't want to die. They didn't want to perish in the way. They couldn't even imagine or contemplate the freedom. They thought they had a glimpse of it. And they left Egypt with all this gold and jewelry in it and everything like which was owed to them for their service. And the Lord blessed them with that. So they thought they had freedom. But now they're seeing the army come back upon them. Pharaoh's army, the army of the Egyptians, coming after them. And they became afraid. And the the second opinion, if you will, is this. It's a questioning. It's a doubting of will the Lord do what he said he would do? And now let me actually even rephrase that. And the question is really this. Will we trust the Lord to accomplish what he said he would do? So people are asking themselves, can he do it? Which is exactly what the people were asking themselves in Elijah's day. Can the Lord do it? They were of two opinions. Now, yes, it's, we desire to be delivered from the hand of the, of the enemy, of the oppressor. But the Lord says this very plainly in James. In verses 6 through 8. He said, but he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So whether it was Elijah in Elijah's day when he asked or tells the people very plainly, you are of two opinions. Moses is saying the same thing. And the people are saying, we wanted to be slaves in Egypt. Well, clearly they did not, or they would not have left Egypt. They could have remained. But the fact that they were no longer in Egypt, they had gone as, as far as to the sea, said that they did not want to remain slaves. So you see there two opinions. And Moses' response he tells them not to fear, but to stand and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish, which is exactly something the Lord had uh, me speak about in the previous episode. That yes, it's our right, it's our, our duty in order to, to vote. But we should be voting when the Lord says to vote. And then we also need to recognize that just because we voted, we did not bring about the deliverance. We were able to participate in the Lord's plan, but it was he who brings about the victory. It's he who is our deliverer and brings about the deliverance. Not we ourselves. We did not do it. We could not do it, which is why we require a savior, a deliverer, a redeemer to set us free. This absolutely matters. As absolutely matters to the Lord. And 
It's up for us to stand and see what the Lord is doing. Let's go back to to 1 Kings 18 for a moment. Because if we look, there's a couple of points I want to make. If we go to 1 Kings 18, verse 26. Now this is after, I'll give you some, some background here for those that are just listening in, but I encourage you to read this on your own. Of course, there is this challenge and that Elijah brings, and we read about that, right? Not just about the two opinions, but he then goes into and says, hey, why don't you, the prophets of Baal, uh, which actually begins in verse 19, says, then send another, send and gather me to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And that's when he confronts them and says to Israel, you are of two opinions. But then he says, look, you have these 450 prophets of Baal. And he says, let's get two oxen. Let's prepare it for a sacrifice. He says, you call on the name of your God. And Elijah says, I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire he is God. And everyone agreed. Everyone agreed to that. But there's, in verse 26, it says that the, then they, that's the prophets of Baal and Asherah, and took the ox which was given to them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. And there was no voice. And no one answered. And they leaped about at the altar which they made. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them. And he says some, he just continues to mock them this whole time. But then in verse 20 he says this, that they cried out with a loud voice, they cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And then when midday was passed, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. I bring this up because when we look and examine this with the Lord's deliverance in Exodus, Pharaoh and the Egyptians were doing something identical. It said there in verse 26 or 27, they, sorry, 28, forgive me, says they cried out with a loud voice, they cut themselves. The key there is according to their custom. In Moses' day, Pharaoh was, well, he was Pharaoh. He was the king. They enslaved people. They captured people. They conquered people. And he sent out and went along with them his people, his warriors, his conquerors. They were doing what was their custom. That's what they were doing. There's literally no difference. I understand it's not an ox that they were prepping for sacrifice and calling out to their God. Pharaoh thought he was God. That was his mindset. That they that the Egyptians believed that the Pharaohs were the descendants of the gods. 
so he wouldn't call on another. He thought he was God, inserted himself in the place of God, and was trying to, not trying to, he enforced his will upon the people. I know many are are now hearing that and going, wow, man, when I look at everything that's happened, even here in the past week, how is it there were, that there were so many issues that we didn't see? And I have lots of questions. I have questions on, uh, I'll say the, the point of contention has been brought up for forever about these machines. Why are there so many issues? Why were there so many issues right off the bat? How is that even possible? Knowing that that was a point of contention, why wouldn't you take and do everything in your power to resolve that so no one can bring an accusation? If everything is on the up and up, as it was claimed to be years ago in a previous election. Anybody that is being a person of integrity and above board would ensure that there were no issues to the greatest extent possible in order to eliminate that from being an accusation. But that didn't happen. And then I have to ask myself the question, why is it that depending on the race, and I don't mean between Republicans and Democrats, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, why was there such a difference, distinguishable difference between the numbers and percentages of votes in and counted for or between the governor's race in comparison to those of the Senate, and those in the House. Why is that, why was that so different? That all of a sudden 95% of the votes are in for certain governor races, but when it came to the Senate, oh, somewhere, depending on the state, it was in the 30s, 40s, 60s, percent of the vote was in. But 95 or 98% of the vote, depending on the day. How is that even possible? As all the names are on one ballot. So wouldn't they all have the same, per- or shouldn't they all have the same percentage of votes in and tallied for amongst all the races? And then I have to ask yet another question. Why is it that knowing Early votes and mail-in ballots, yes, typically tend to favor the Democratic Party. And the later votes and in-person votes typically tend to favor the Republican Party. Why then would you count the in-person and late votes in some of these states first? And then the mail-in ballots and early voting... Why would you wait to count them? Doesn't that take away from the whole point and purpose of having early and mail-in voting, or at least half of it? Why would you do that? And then there's the other piece and perspective of why is it that it's taken all week in in a relative term? in order to determine the outcomes of some of these races. When historically, 
in one day, the day of the election, we had a winner. The majority of the votes, if not all of them, were counted. But today, in a day and age where we have the benefit of all this technology and even more people involved in the process to make sure that the votes are counted and tallied and and there's a, everyone has a say and a vote. Every legal person has a, a registered person that's legally allowed to vote has a, a say and their vote counts and matters. How is it that we, in the technological age, where we have all this advanced equipment, machinery, technology to benefit us, to bless us, to make things faster and save us time, effort, and energy. Are we having more issues and is it taking longer? Don't be alarmed. The Lord is the one bringing about deliverance. The Lord is the one that will deliver you. These individuals are doing what is their custom. They're absolutely doing what is their custom. How, I mean, why would you in your own, if you were running for re-election in your own district, alienate and mock your own people when they're bringing their concerns to you, dancing and doing the samba while sitting on a stage and then when the handful or a couple handfuls of people that are left that are bringing up issues, are you still mocking them? Unless you knew there, that there wasn't even a concern for you, that you were going to remain in the place and position of power that you have been in. That's the only way I could even consider or fathom that, is that you must have known that you were a lock, that you were already in. But then how would that be the case? How would that be the case if it was a fair and equal and safe and secure election? These are just questions I have. But I bring this up because this is the custom. These individuals are operating, these groups, this... Uh, I'll say, entity, organization, the people involved are operating as is their custom. But the Lord isn't mocked, and he is still in control. God's got it. And even though they cried out with a loud voice and they did all these things, what happened? Well, in Elijah's case, in verse 30, he tells all the people, come near to me. And he repairs the altar of the Lord. He's bringing people into covenant with him. He is unifying the people under the Lord, whom he is representing and is speaking for, speaking the oracles of God to them. And he prays in the name of the Lord after he arranges the wood. But what he's praying is about bringing the people into covenant with God.
And in the same way, Moses, in Exodus 14, Moses is trying to unify the people, to bring them together. He gives them the instructions. Stand by, or do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. But then it's interesting because he tells them, yes, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Keep silent before the Lord, as I just want to encourage you. Watch what the Lord your God will do for you and for this nation. And in verse 15, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And he gives him, Moses, very specific instructions. But I say that that's the word to all of us right now. That the Lord is telling us to continue forward, to move forward, to go. In the same way that Elijah, after the fire came down, they received instruction. And Elijah said, hey, don't, or get them. I'll, I'll find the exact verse here. Um, after the fire fell, he said, it's in First uh, Kings 18, verse 40, that Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and brought them down, and they eliminated them. Well, here, the Lord is the one that is moving. And the Lord said what he was going to do. But the people had a choice, and that was to go forward. See, that choice is demonstrated. And, and I say this because in Elijah's time, it was to not let them escape, to completely uproot that evil and that wickedness, not dabbling with it anymore, but demonstrating they had chosen the Lord their God, not to, to bounce back and forth between two opinions, not to be double-minded, not to be unstable in their ways, but that they were choosing the Lord. And in the same way, in Exodus 14, the Lord is, or through Moses, the Lord is telling Moses to tell the people, move forward, go forward. And yes, the Lord parted the sea. He divided it and gave them the opportunity to move forward in him, to be delivered by the Lord God. And that happened. And I'm not sure if everyone has heard the story, but the Lord delivered his people. And Pharaoh and the Egyptians, that he and his warriors, that he had rallied up and pursued the children of God. They tried to go out and capture them in the same way, pursuing them through the sea that had divided, but they were overthrown. And in verse 30 and 31, it says this, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power 
which the Lord had used against the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. I'll tell you, the Lord is bringing about that deliverance. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord. Do not fear, but choose to move forward with him. Watch what he does. Watch how he rids, I'll say, his people, how he delivers his people from the hand of the enemy, of the oppressor. It's not we that did it. It's the Lord entirely. But, but I say this. I want to back up a second. We have a role and a part to play, and we talked about, we're actually speaking about it now with our choosing to move forward. Right? But we as a people, the people of God, need to recognize a couple things. And I'll say the first is this. And this is actually a word spoken through my, my son, as he heard from the Lord. And it pertains to us as people, both in the church, if you will, but as we go about our lives. It says, when people, when people feel like they are in the presence of the Lord, they try to focus on it. And then they stop the Lord from moving as he really wants to because they start acting as they think they should or are supposed to, uh, uh, that is, as they have been conditioned to act. And that's a, a very interesting thing. As I was watching the midterm elections, even from believers, they were early on in, in in the night, as they were seeing some of the the numbers, the votes get tallied on the board, and you see the different percentages begin to come in. And for many, it looked early, like it was turning red. They were looking and hoping and anticipating this big red wave. And I noticed even the believers who had started and were professing and proclaiming the name of the Lord and that the Lord was moving, that then I noticed the manner of language change. And it was about, I'll say, discussing what they had always done. And I'll say identifying themselves by state. Well, my state votes red or my state. And it was incredible that switch, which goes back to what we were discussing on the being double-minded. It's exactly what this word speaks to. That we stop the Lord from moving as he really wants to because we start acting as we think we should. And that's in... It's not just in the four walls of the church, although absolutely that can stop the Holy Spirit from moving, but also in providing our deliverance. We stop the Lord from doing what he really intends to do because we then approach things from a natural perspective, as in saying, I'll say it in this way, we've always done it this way. 
Well, there are some things at the core which are similar through every movement and every awakening and every revival of the Lord. Because our Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he also tells us in his word that he's doing a new thing. Our Lord, our, our, he is the God of creation. He is extremely creative. Let's allow him to do what he's already planned out and created and set in motion to do in the manner he intends to do it. And I say that because it, this is vitally important. Because if we then try to take it back from the Lord and operate as we always have, how then is our God glorified? And then it brings us out of covenant because then we're saying we are God and Lord do what we want or what we've asked. Vice, allowing him to be in his rightful place. He's our God and we're his people. It's his covenant that we have been given the opportunity to align with and to enter into with him. We are not able to deliver ourselves. He's the one that provides the deliverance. Only from him. I'm reminded of Psalm 121 where he says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains from where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. But he does. He guards our going in and our coming out. As he did to the children of Israel in the wilderness. He is set and seeks to establish his people free, a freedom unimaginable. But we cannot do it ourselves. We have to trust him to do it to his will and in his perfect will is his perfect timing but I want to encourage you today to move forward just like Moses said to the people I'm, I tell you go forward do not fear stand and see the salvation of your God I have another son who also the Lord spoke to him and gave him this word which I will share with you. And the Lord was saying to him, we have persevered for this long. Do not quit, saying we have held on long enough, and there appears to be little difference in the situation. But choose to continue. We are close to the finish line. We are close. Stand. See the salvation of your God. I just want to encourage you with that today, to choose the Lord, to move forward with him, to remain in covenant with him, he as your God, we as his people. Let's watch and see what the Lord will do. He's not moved by anything that's happened. There are, he is about to move in a mighty, mighty way bringing about our deliverance, that the hand of the oppressor shall be no more. Never again will we see them, the oppressor, 
forever. So I thank you for tuning in. I, I hope and I pray and I trust the Lord that you were encouraged, that you were build up, built up in your faith and your faith in him, that you can trust him. Our God is a deliverer. He will do what he says he can do. And I thank you for listening to us and standing with us in this show, Matters of Life, a show that stands for righteousness and for justice. We love you. God bless you. And have a wonderful evening.